Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Mr. Brent Perkins, it is a sincere honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today, my friend. Tell me, Brent, what is something that you are grateful for today in your world? I am grateful for the time and relationship that I get with my daughters. That's something I haven't always gotten. Maybe you can ask me a tough question about that, but just yesterday, just last night, I had my 15-year-old ask me to just come lay on her bed and we talked for 20, 25 minutes about her and her boyfriend and what's going on in her life. And just to get that time, I know not every day I guess that. So I'm really appreciative of that. Oh, and I feel the same way, man. I, this morning, I got a little time with my eight-year-old on the couch. We were doing our, our little summer reading program. And for 15 minutes every morning, we do a little reading. And I'm just so grateful for that time. I'm so glad you shared that. You're finding that magic moment, I would call it. And just the daily things, finding magic. And you've done that. That's awesome. Well, that was a softball. Let me give you a little more challenging question and I'd like to start off in the deep end. So let's go there. What is something that's been incredibly challenging for you, Brent, in your life to date? You can go all the way back to childhood or you can go to yesterday, right now. But what's something that's been challenging for you? Yeah, I mean, in the last two years, my life has taken a, a 180 in so many ways. I stepped out of an 18-year marriage, which was not in the ideal time. It was during my oldest daughter's senior year in high school which was really, really, really hard on her and our relationship. I parted ways with my business partner last December and stepped out of a 20-plus year career getting up into the C-suite and running businesses and realized, taking this lens back on myself, that I kind of used to pride myself on. I was honest. I was straightforward, built my businesses, and realizing I never lived in integrity. Not all the way. White lies were rampant, peppered in with gray lies. Really no black lies. That's where I felt good about it. But looking through that lens back on my life, realizing I don't show up to life real. I'm not living in integrity, not with myself, not with my kids, not with my spouse at the time, not with my friends. I'm spinning webs to make sure I look a certain way or present a certain way. That was really painful to unravel. And it's been a couple year process. Wow. Thank you for going there and sharing deeply with us. Can you clarify, what do you mean spinning webs to make sure you look a rent? I mean, changing the details of stories always being defensive and guarding the way certain events happened, making sure that this image, at least I had, this false image I had for myself, which is, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I run businesses, I'm smart, I show up a certain way, I add value because I'm intelligent and can make decisions. All these things that I thought I was getting self-worth in, that I really didn't, I was building this house of cards of self-worth, spinning these webs to keep it all afloat and tied together in ways that, again, they were definitely not in integrity of who I really am at my core. When you share these, I feel dad, husband, business leader, I'm intelligent. I mean, I feel like in my own mind, maybe this is ego, whatever's showing up for me is that I feel like you just described me and it causes me to wonder how my own identity might be built in some of these things. So 
And I wonder if I'm spending webs too. But So I'm just trying to put it through my own lens and I appreciate what you're sharing. I wonder if we could go back to stepping out of an 18-year marriage and a 20-year career running businesses and having a daughter graduate from high school. Those are three like major life things that have happened in this short period of time. Could you come back to when was the moment you realized what you just shared that you've been spinning these webs, Brent? You know, a year before that happened, my mom passed away. And that's when the ripple in the matrix happened for me. All these things I had been allowing. I'd been allowing myself to not honor who I am. I talk bad about myself, shame myself, guilt myself. I'd allowed negative behavior and just toxic things in my marriage. Not only how I showed up, but how my partner showed up. I didn't have any boundaries. There came a point, I guess, not long after the pandemic, although I don't know how much that directly impacted it, but I'm sure it did, that I was sitting there and my ex-wife and I were having a heated discussion. I was like, okay, it's time to set a boundary. And I was part of it too. So it's definitely not something I'm passing blame on her. I was like, this is it. No more of this. And of course that didn't go over well. But as I really leaned into that, that was my first step on this journey in the last two years, which is these boundaries need to be set. I'm no longer going to live in shame and guilt constantly, both from myself and the people I surrounded myself that I allowed that in on. And it was really, really, really hard and painful. Take a look at it from that angle and start to unwind some. Yeah, I mean, it hurts starting to think about it because I think many of us have that kind of stuff with setting some boundaries and slowly over time, the boundaries erode and stuff just happens, especially when you're successful running businesses or when you're focused on businesses and raising kids. So a lot of us can relate. I mean, I'll give you an example. I used to travel, you know, like a hundred days a year. And, you know, one of these things where I'd come back, I came back from Egypt and I'm inside of the Great Pyramid and I'm trying to show my kids pictures and they're not interested. I'm like, why aren't you interested? They're like, we just wanted to hang out with you. Like they never wanted me to travel. I never asked them. I didn't realize this at the time until I looked back, but it's like, they don't want to see a picture of me inside of my pyramid. They just wanted to spend time in a refrigerator box, building a fort, you know, at their house. And just trying to come to terms with these sorts of pieces in my life were, were part of this journey. How do you come to terms with that now that your children are a high school graduate of this age? I mean, how is that process now in your mind? It's just being present. That's how we started this conversation. Getting a moment talking about my daughter's boyfriend or how she's bored this summer or whatever it may be, but laying on her bed while she's just chatting or folding clothes. or I mean, the simple, God, is so much more meaningful than anything else. Yeah, the simple, meaningful things. I feel this is one of the boundaries you're sharing is that being present versus the opposite of present, doing everything else except be present. That's one boundary. What might be a couple of these boundaries that really are resonating for you right now that you've learned from? I'd actually like to stack something here. Yes, please. Yeah, love to. Nothing is more important that I've learned than being present. The past is a memory, and it may or may not be exactly as we remember it. The future hasn't happened, and really, we're just living in these moments every second. But it's not just showing up. It's, for me, showing up in surrender. And what I mean by that is no expectations, no assumptions, completely letting go of control, which is really governed by fear, and just being, not having to steer a conversation a certain way or stick to a certain agenda, just showing up not knowing where it's going to go, seeing and hearing the other person and yourself. 
Well, that's different. It's not the exact same, just show up and be present. I don't think what you're saying is show up, be present, and just let anything happen happens. Don't have an opinion. Don't do anything at all. Don't participate. Just be there. That's not what you're saying. You want to be present to anything that can happen around you. You still have an agenda of some kind or still some intention, but you don't want to. I like that one better. <laughs> Which one? Intention. You have an intention. At the same time, you don't have to go on this prescribed path to get there. That's what I'm feeling. Yes. Let it flow from us rather than. Yeah. And what's interesting is for me is those baby steps because you go from one or I went from wanting to control everything to now. I mean, part of this journey has been for me writing this book where I stepped out of my career and went from this type A personality, hard charging CEO to I'm going to basically become an artist and write a book, not do any of the CEO things anymore and not take an income for a long time. And I didn't have a specific agenda, but I had an intention, which is how do I put this back out in the world in a way that taps into my creativity and lets it flow through me like never before. I had no idea where it was going to take me every day. And every day I sat down at this keyboard or I showed up in this office or somewhere else, had I had an agenda, like I'm doing this today, I'm going to write a chapter today, I'm going to do an outline, I'm going to research this topic. If I had a true agenda, it would have spoiled it. It did, and it spoiled it in the beginning. When I showed up and just listened, I got quiet. I allowed things to flow through me because I intentionally showed up. I created this space where intentionality governed the whole thing, but I didn't know what was going to come from it. It's like when I show up for my daughter, I create this space where her and I get to connect where it's safe enough to say anything. But if I have too much of an agenda, what she really wants to have come out, what she's been afraid to say, it never comes out. Mm, okay. The way that I'm taking in this conversation, I feel I can get to a place where I can let it flow with my kids. The part that I'm really stuck, and maybe you can help me, and I know that you're talking to an audience here where there are some hard-charging, like overachieving, maybe recovering perfectionists who, oh, raise your ass, me too. Uh, And when you say creating space where you don't know exactly where it might go and you do it with intention, I love the idea. And how does a hard-charging CEO go from that to the creative space, because it seems like such a 180-degree shift, like you said earlier. And I wonder what it was like in the very beginning when you made that decision, right after you chose to leave the company. I mean, how did you come to terms with that, making that huge shift? Because it sounds great and scary as hell. It is, yeah, all of the above. After I made the decision, it took me about a week doing a little bit of research, and I decided, if I don't step into this opportunity and do this right now, Never again will I have the space I need, the time I need to really devote myself 100% to this. So I stepped in not knowing, but along the way, I also realized money's never solved problems for me. Going to work never actually made me feel whole. I was always chasing something more. Once I started a business and it was successful, I wanted another one. Or once that got folded into another bigger conglomerate, I wanted a different title. It's never enough. So you get to the CEO level in in these companies, it's like, well, it's still not enough. When is it enough? It's never enough. At what point is money enough? Do I need to have a Ferrari? Do I need to go from a 3,000 square foot house to a 6,000? When is it enough? And in that story with with like the Great Pyramids and my kids not caring, it really is the same thing with money. And the more money I made and the more I pumped into things that weren't 
intentional in the way I try to do it today. Money can be great. I'm not shaming money or, or, or putting it down. When we just frivolously use it in our lives, it actually depletes intentionality. It takes it away mm. because it's too easy to be like, well, I just spent money on this. Money's a lubricant. It's not a solution. It became easier to step more into this book project. The more I realized giving back a piece of my story, connecting with other humans that have felt stuck, that have felt confused and frustrated, that have put all of themselves into trying to be amazing for themselves and their family, but realize, you know, they've only had one foot in the whole time. And where's that foot been in? It's been one foot in the family, one foot in the business, mostly towards the business or towards achievement. I'm really resonating what you're sharing here, that it's never enough. It's such a concept I know resonates with this audience. So help us understand if that's the place, and I know a lot of us are there. I've been there and I feel in some ways I'm still there. It's never enough. When someone comes to this realization, what do you do from there? How do you grapple with that? It's never enough concept. Because I feel like that's a real pain point for a lot of us. In my journey, I never really made the connection, made, connected the dots until I got to a point And I had to do a lot of work on, on this piece. We can dive into this if you want. But when I realized that I'm enough on my own, without money, without a career, without a spouse, without any of these things, I'm just enough. It shifted the entire conversation. Wow. And on the other side of that shift where you are now, if you look back, is it something you can say that I've made the right choice? Something now is better or less painful? Or what's the feeling now that you've made this this choice and you've decided that you are enough? As I have gotten to this place where I know that I don't need anything from somebody outside of myself. I'm not speaking spiritually or from religion-wise from about God. That's a slightly different topic. But I don't need anything from the world. I don't need validation outside of what is inside of me. And I've actually had this, as I've stepped back into the dating world, I wanted to address my search for another partner, for another life partner. The way I look at it is, yes, humans need connection and we love I would love to find another life partner, not because I need fulfillment from them, validation from them, because I want to co-create with them. I know that what I'm bringing to the table, I'm bringing a fully baked cake. You don't get to be the baking soda or the eggs or the flour. Like it's done. Like my cake is baked. If you want to help me put some sprinkles on top, let's do that together. But the cake's done. I don't need you for that. It has felt so good to show up to life in that way, in all aspects. I just know a lot of us can relate as we either have wives or, or husbands and or have significant others. It's a totally different approach. When you say I'm enough or when we might say to ourselves, I'm enough, when we come to that place where we're ready to face that, to me, that feels like what you described earlier, being in surrender, that surrendering to I am enough and I don't need the validation from others or from the status of the paycheck or from social media likes. That's what shows up for me. This is the, the feeling you have right now. I'm guessing here. This is the shift I made from going to having like a very loose agenda, as you called it earlier, to complete surrender. And it, it took me time to, to feel through that, but it is possible. Absolutely, it's possible. 100%. Well, I'm curious how through this process of writing a book... And your book is getting ready to come out. In fact, right now we're recording on June 30th, 2023. I think your book's actually going to be out in like six weeks or so. 
So about the time we launched, the book will be coming out. Can you walk us through the book a little bit here and share with us how the book addresses some of these things that we're discussing and just give us an overview, Brent, because I know you've got our listeners. You've got me right now, this place of what are you chasing? And it's never enough. But being present, it's a really challenging place where people sometimes can be hiding and they may not want to talk about it out loud. And I think you've got something here that's really special. So give us a peek, please, into the book. So the foundation of the book is that we all have choice. At the high level, that's the freedom that we all understand. I want sushi tonight or let's go see this movie. We know we have this these choices in our life. We either forget or we relegate the micro choices we have thousands of times a day. What did my mom mean when she said that on the phone? My wife sounded frustrated. I've heard that before. It must mean this. So we let our reticular activating system, just our internal AI, so to speak, put it in the bank of our experiences. Like we are creating the story that builds up how we interpret our experiences every day. And there's choice. There's always choice. This framework I created because this really resonated in my own life is that we're building our stories. We're building our experiences based on our truths. Truths are not universal. They're individual. So, Matt, you can have a truth. But religion, we don't need to go into religion, but religion is a great thing where everybody has a different truth of their own about what they believe, why they believe it. And for me, a truth is a fact with a little bit of belief layered on top. I mean, I want you to think of a situation where maybe you were out with some friends golfing or you're at a dinner party and you walk away and you tell your wife afterwards, that person was such a jerk. I can't believe that was horrible. And you frustrate your wife, puts her hand on your shoulder. She says, Matt, did you know that he just lost his brother yesterday? Did you know X, Y, or Z? And you go, that changes everything. Now I get it. So you literally went from holding one truth. You told yourself and built this story of your experience on this. And somewhere between 15 minutes and weeks later, you now hold a wholly different truth. So if we can hold two truths, I guess I should back up. Einstein says this world is an illusion that we're living in because how you interpret it and how I interpret or experience it are different. Our truths are the, are the interpretations of these experiences. So I say our truths are, are delusions. That's why the book is called Paper Cuts, The Art of Self-Delusion. Because we can choose. This is where choice comes in. We can choose to say it's happening one way. It's, it's perspective-based. Or we can choose the complete opposite or somewhere in between. And we can change our choices along the road. And it completely shifts and unwinds, unspins that web, or re-spins it in a different way of how we've constructed the beliefs around our life and what it means to us and what's happened. This is where I hope somebody walks away from the book once they've gotten through the understanding of this and go, dang it, another paper cut. And they become aware of the choices they're either not making or the ones that they've just let become routine when they didn't step into curiosity, they didn't ask, they didn't take a different perspective, they didn't wonder, huh, I wonder if that's really how it is. I wonder if that's how they're interpreting, is that their delusion of their illusion? <laughs> what was it for them? We don't ask that enough. You're hitting me here. It's a low blow. I'm feeling this because you're sharing the story. And, you know, I'm realizing that there's been a number of cases where I had my narrative. I could share one uh, without sharing the exact name of the person, but I could share one that there was this friend I cared for very deeply, still do. And their perspective on things was so different than mine in business 
and I was charging so hard and forward and anything that was not in that path was a distraction. And they had a little more casual, relaxed attitude. So we didn't hang out as much anymore. And come to find out recently that they had a lot of stressors that I had no idea about. And once those stressors were lifted, it's like this whole cloud shifted and the lens by which I see them is now 180 degrees because now I see that they had so much tough stuff that they never shared that they're sharing now. And it just makes me ashamed that I was not able to see their truth because I had them painted in this one way. And to keep going on what you're sharing, Paper Cuts, The Art of Self-Delusion sounds to me like an incredible deep dive. Like first thing that came to mind was I went to Stephen Covey thinking about seek first to understand, then be understood, which is like one 14-page section in a book from 30 years ago. I'm feeling like everything you're describing is like a complete awareness and deep dive into that in a much granular, deeper level. And I feel that could stand to serve everyone because how many times do we do this? For yourself, I know that feeling of shame, man, I've had a lot in my life, but I've turned it into gratitude because what it really is a lesson. And that lesson is allowing you to show up the way you are today, a more aware person, a wiser person, a kinder person. So I say eradicate that shame and turn it into gratitude because you get to be and show up who you are today because of that happening in your life that way. Yeah. What's the formula for that? So to take shame or guilt or some frustration, something, and to convert it into gratitude. How would you uh, answer that? How do you convert that to gratitude, Brent? Wow. That's a really tough question, Matt, because I could never have done it before. I would never would have been able to do it. In fact, I probably would have sat here and argued with you how guilt is healthy in the past. And I, I understand how there's, you could say it nudges you in certain directions and that's your radar that keeps you on I think it's all bullshit. I think guilt and shame should completely go away. I'm with Brene Brown on this one, that there's zero room for it. It's about being aware. It's about showing up and going, oh, that didn't work. Or I didn't want to. I could have done it differently. I could have paid attention and heard somebody differently. I could have stepped outside of my own ego differently. I noticed it. Okay. And there's nothing shameful about that. Do kids get shamed because as they're learning the alphabet, they can't get it in perfect order every single time? No, it's part of learning. Mm. Oh, so that could be the frame, converting any of these things that may be shame or guilt. It could be that we're on this learning continuum and it's called life. The learning continuum, it's called life. <laughs> and at some point you learn to walk, to read, to have emotional intelligence. And you have the opportunity, no matter how young or old you might be, to learn how to take some of these boundaries and set them or to learn how to take what you could call guilt today learn about how you really feel, learn about being present and to convert that to a learning lesson and through gratitude. So yeah. you're spot on. I love how you reframe that. Thank you, Matt. I'll give you a quick example. I was talking to my girlfriend last night without getting into the exact topic of it. Something came up around a topic where there was shame and guilt in the past. And as we talk through it, it's like, man, because this experience happened, it's allowing us to have this open conversation around it. It's allowing us to address it in a way that it's impossible for it to ever show up in the same way again because it's out in the open. We didn't shove it down. This is part of the not living in integrity I talked about in the beginning, which is these are the things you sweep under the rug and you move on. Let's talk about it. It happened. Let's learn from it. Let's grow from it. Let's talk about how your feelings are different than my feelings and what do they mean together and 
that's where co-creation starts, which I never knew how to do before. Oh, I'm so glad you said this because I think my wife and I, we had this gift. We call it a gift now. It wasn't a gift before. <laughs> we had this gift. This opportunity happens all the time. And it may be around an argument or a subject that we think differently about. And I was talking to Tony DiLorenzo from uh, One Extraordinary Marriage podcast yesterday on the show. And he said that anytime that there's a conflict, that's an opportunity for mining. And it's really a gift how this looks in real life for me. And I'll ask you another example of what it looks like for you. For me, it was whenever we'd be in the car driving, for example, this was the place of so much challenge for us because I'm driving and I know where I'm going and any suggestion about the speed at which I'm going or the route that we are taking would lead to a little bit of defensiveness and it would lead to raised voices. And before you know, we're arguing about nothing, (laughs) about nothing. There's two ways we go to get home. And if I'm going this way, she says that way, now I'm mad. And we played that same thing over and over and over again. Now it's an opportunity for us to learn how we communicate differently. It's an opportunity for us to be present in that, what used to be discomfort. And now we laugh about it, Brent. We laugh about it. We call it hacking each other, passive aggressive commenting each other. So this would be a passive aggressive driving. Did you just pad me or a passive aggressive laugh? Did you just pal me? So we kind of made it into a joke and now that's how we catch ourselves in that moment. And I'm glad you brought this up. I'm gonna add that layer, co-creating. This is how it's an opportunity for us to co-create this new place rather than get in the bunkers and fight. (laughs) No point to that, no value. Yeah. Well, now, on the other side of your journey where you are in surrender and you're setting boundaries and you're able to have these conversations, what's the difference between then and now? Because I want this, and I know it's probably a hard process to get there, but night and day, how you felt then, how you felt now, what do we have to look forward to if those of us who are willing to take this journey? Just like, just so that huge weight is lifted. I've never slept better felt more free. I was talking with somebody yesterday because financially I've still stepped out of so much I've done. And as part of some of these like still business owner and CEO master group, you show up and I'm like, oh, I haven't made money in 10 months. So I guess I'm not winning by your standards, but I feel this level of abundance that is just insane. And I got lucky enough, a friend of mine's a fractional owner on this houseboat. I didn't know what I was stepping into took my daughter and we ended up getting on this 5,000 square foot under roof houseboat on Lake Powell. 23 of us. It was insane. It was off the charts, you know, rock star level. And I walked away going, just because I don't own that and I don't spend the money on it, getting that experience, how is that any different? That is insane abundance in my life. And I don't need to be the one making all this money and putting in the time and doing, doling it out myself to feel that level of abundance. That abundance lives within my friendships, within my love life, within my kids. And however it shows up, like if I can't take 100% credit for it, is it still mine? Hell yeah, it's still mine. I've created it in my life where it shows up. And that's more of what I'm trying to create today. I don't need to do it all with the hard work of earning money in the traditional sense to feel that the abundance is worthwhile. As I've stepped into a different way to create this life, abundance continues to show up, sometimes in even better ways. And it feels amazing to be able to say, I still created it. It's still mine. I feel a shift happening as you're sharing this. This is powerful. What you just described translates to me as the abundance truly lives within us. We only need to learn how to let go and surrender 
and discover it. I would say class dismissed because that was that was awesome. I, I don't know if you see, I mean, I actually just had a change in my heart. My heart vibration just shifted thinking about this abundance is within us. It's like the Acres of Diamonds story. It's all right here under our feet and we're blind to it because the lens is shifted. It's cloudy. It might be the wrong prescription because the prescription is for some, the lens could be achieve, grow, earn, protect, provide. It could be all these really strong, masculine or feminine, whatever you might call it. It could be all these terms that I grew up idolizing or living to that standard. And to realize that it truly is within us. It's hard to grapple with that. Now that you've been on this journey for some time, how have you come to be at peace with that? Because it must have been challenging at first to where you got to today. I mean, how have you come to, to grapple with that over time in the last couple of years, Brent? As I have conversations with friends, with other men, and or women like yourself. I actually had one of my daughter's friends who came with us on that, that houseboating trip. She was kind of being nasty one day. And I, I just sat down and had a, a conversation with her. And in a way, and I, I shared with her just how awesome she was. And I saw her in a way that I know her family doesn't see her. And she just broke down and cried. And we had some more talks. You know, she's a 15-year-old girl. But we become friends. We become more of like uncle relationship. This is happening more and more and more in my life, to show other people that they can be seen and that they're good enough and to give that peace back in ways that they've not experienced in their life. For those of us whose moms still guilt us and shame us and don't, you know, their own victimhood gets in the way because they don't love themselves. To be able to see other people and give that gift back, there are zero things on this planet better than that. I love that that feeling you're describing. I've lucked out, got to feel it, being a soccer coach for my girls' teams, believing in them. They're, they're all young, eight and six. So I feel that I'm on the front end of that journey and you're giving me good ammunition. There's a place though between, I don't know how to describe it. Let's just call it the comfort zone. And then there's this, call it a fear zone or something of that nature. If somewhere in there is where the surrender is, it feels to me, I, I don't know if I'm articulating it properly. Can you talk about that? When we're in this comfortable place of the status quo of going at things and doing what we've always done, and then there's this fear of the shift. What might that mean to you, comfort versus fear, as it relates to this? Yeah, I don't know whether you're referencing it, but there's actually a chapter in the book called Comfortably Fearful. Actually, actually a conversation I had with my dad where he was telling me how, you know, as I get older, I'm just stuck in my ways, but he was defending himself because it's his comfort zone. And you just, you don't want to go outside of your comfort zone. I just challenged him. And I said, is it your comfort zone or is it your fear zone? Because what you're talking about is, is that you surround yourself with other people who like to smoke cigars or like to drink or do the things you like to do, but you don't surround yourself anymore with people that challenge you. You don't surround yourself or put yourself in situations where your edges get pushed, where you get questioned on, is this the highest and best you know, thing you could be doing right now? Are you pushing yourself? Are you learning? Are you growing? And I think too often, especially with age, we fall into these comfort zones. What happens in our relationships, both romantic and friendship-wise. And the minute we step into, unless we're open and we're willing, we show up in this surrender piece, we don't want to change. We don't want to be told, I'm working too much. I'm drinking too much. I'm spending too much time in the golf course. I'm not really showing up for my kids in the way they are. I'm just going through the motions. Like, we don't want to be told these things. We call them comfort zones. They're really fear zones. A complete shift on what we call a comfort zone is actually, it could be a fear zone. Man, 
that can be tough to stomach. I can tell you right now, the part of me that's triggered a little bit that, that feels this concept, I don't know how to describe it, is my ego. I know this, I'm good at this, I'm used to this. How do you beat back the ego in this place if you want to make this shift? And it just feels like I've been doing it so long this way and I have this status and I've achieved this. And yeah, there's some warts and bruises. I'm still searching for something. My ego's got me stuck or on this one compass route. How do I start to make that shift? And, and I think there's something to do with the ego here. I'm not sure what. Help me out. Yeah, I'm going to pick on you because you're an easy and an amazing, amazing oh, person. But great. Easy, easy, easy explanation here. I know you well enough to know that the reason you're sitting here in your house in this space doing this podcast is not just to make money. It's not just to prove yourself in the business world. There's some value out of it that comes with it for you, but you're also here to learn. And I see you show up in that way to learn. I feel like you come to learn first. The other things come out of it. But if I walked in your house, if I jumped through the screen and walked through the house and opened that the door behind you and I asked your kids, I don't give a shit that you're in here doing a podcast. They don't think you're a better dad because of any of this. True. When we realize, we get to a point where it's like, I've accomplished these things that the world says is great. I still don't love myself. I'm still not where I want to be. Then we haven't done the real work. And everything else is just placation or numbing or distractions. And yeah, the world's going to tell us, great. And we're going to have these dopamine hits from feel goods that come with all the things that those things can buy or attract and bring to us but they're just hits. We're constantly having to seek them. We don't wake up with a smile on our face all day long. It's like, where am I going to get told I'm good enough or I'm better or another check comes in or I buy something else or I fly somewhere else? Always something more we're chasing constantly. Mm, man. I'll kind of spoil some of the end of the book, but one of my favorite quotes is by Henry David Thoreau. And I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pretty famous speaker. She's sold a lot of books, travels all over the world. And we were talking about chasing, chasing happiness. And that word chasing is actually pretty ugly. When you dig into it, there's fear built into chasing. And I'm going to butcher it, but Henry David Thoreau's quote goes something like, you can be running around a park out of breath, chasing this butterfly. It's beautiful. And every time you get close to it and you go to grab it, it flutters away. And it's, it's going up, it's going down, it's going left, right. You, you can never grasp it. And out of breath, you find yourself and you plop down on a park bench. And you let your shoulders drop. Close your eyes. And you open them back up, and the butterfly is on your shoulder. When we stop chasing, it arrives. It shows up. Well, on that note, if I were chasing something in this discussion, I feel that I can sit down now exhausted and that it's on my shoulder. This has been really powerful and helpful. I've gotten questions from it. I've gotten from you. You've gifted us with complete transparency and being able to share a journey in a place that well, I know Personally, a lot of people who question this, this place of run hard, win in business, to what end? And you've learned a lesson here that I hope our listeners can, can hear. And I believe that a number of them will, will truly hear it, Brent. How can we get a copy of the book? I believe there might be an offer for our listeners here or some way to get this book. So tell us a little bit more about that, please. <laughs> yeah, by the time this is out, you could definitely just go to Amazon and, and probably buy it. But you can, you can also hear and get a little bit deeper if you want. Through this journey, you know, the book, again, is called Paper Cuts, The Art of Self-Delusion. So create a landing page called Paper Cuts Suck, because they do. <laughs> They're annoying little 
little pricks um, of pain and reminders. So go to papercutsuck.com, sign up, see how the conversation goes a little bit deeper, or just join our launch team if you're interested to see how this all gets pushed out into the world. Um, Fantastic. Thank you for that gift. And thank you for sharing what you share with this this fine day so far. And it's been amazing to, to learn with you and from you and ding, ding, ding. I'd love to take you into the lightning round here to wrap things up in a nice pretty bow here, Brent. I'm curious now, when I say eternal optimism, what that might mean to you. But here, I'm going to make it complex. I'll make the simple a little more complex. What might eternal optimism mean to you now, as opposed to what it may have meant to you several years ago, if there's a difference? Yeah, I might have thrown up in my mouth a little bit a couple of years ago. <laughs> Just at the thought of it would have felt too esoteric, too like, oh, eternal optimism. I just, it wouldn't have felt good to me a few years ago. And to me, it's not about optimism. It's about unconditional love and beauty. I now know exists in this world. So I'm not optimistic about any of it. it. It just is. The world is conspiring for us. I didn't say that. A lot of people have said that. But the world's conspiring for us. It is beautiful. We just need to show up. And you can call it optimism. I get it. But it just is. Oh, God, I love that answer. That that may be the answer of I've been searching for, not because of seeking validation, because of seeking the crossroads of what I would call optimism and realism. And when they're the same thing and you can't tell them apart, it just is. And there's infinite beauty around us in the moment. To me, that would be the real definition of eternal optimism is being able to see that. And we might call it different things, but I feel that being present is that. And great answer. Thank you. For the, I mean, that may be the best answer. I'm going to have to go and challenge our friend Scott Groves because I think that he uh, he had a great answer. But I think that you just topped his. So challenge to Scott on that one. So thank you, Brent. I did go to the next question would be this. You've shared paper cuts, the art of self-delusion. Uh, what might be one or two other books uh, that you're either reading now or that have had an impact on you at some point in your life? Hmm. Oh, this is a really tough one. I actually haven't read anything in two months, which is weird because I... I read 50 books at least the year before that. But I find life is, I'm really embracing the seasonality of life. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's at a point for me now where, you know, say I've read 100 plus books in the last couple of years, it's time to integrate all those. There's a time for learning and there's a time for living. And you have to be able to do both. I think it's too easy to get stuck in learning. Where I struggle with this, and I know you want a short answer, is that my journey is so different than your journey is so different from other people's. And every time I try, I get excited. I'm like, oh, you got to read this book. It doesn't land in the same way. Books are about timing. We all need different things at different times of our lives because that's what we're going through. That's what we're struggling with. So the book that really set me on this path of integrity was by Martha Beck called The Way of, Path of Integrity, The Way of Integrity. It was just a timely lesson on really stepping out of telling any sort of white, gray, or black lie. So for me, that was just foundational. And it lands with some people and it doesn't with others, but it was beautiful for me. The thing that's helped me the most is I've figured out what book is next. It's not about taking recommendations from other people. As I read a book that I connect with, it's taking notes on what are they referencing? Where did they get, what was the books are either referenced inside the book or in the reference section of what was it that was part of their journey? You'll see that in my book, there's probably... 15 people quoted. Those 15 books were all a huge part of my journey. And as I then go start to explore, if that lesson landed with me, 
what did they go through? Like, what did they learn that then helped them come to this conclusion? And that's where I've done most of my research to figure out what book I want to read next. (sighs) Books are about timing. And then you named Martha Beck's book. I love that. Got a highlight here on my iPad. Books are about timing. And it shows up whether at the right time, it just serendipitously shows up or you intentionally curate something that you feel might help you in your journey. But books are about timing. Great, great thought. Love it. Last question, Brent. Is there a, that gives you inspiration uh, in your world, just something that gets you, gets you going? Music is so emotional for me. I need music today that is soulful, that is upbeat, that is driving me into wanting to be alive. So more of what I stay away from, negativity, a lot of the, there's rap seems to have a lot of victimhood or misogyny or anything that talks just about booze and all these other like chasing women or those messages I, I keep out of my life. What's going to bring joy to us? And it might just be a beat. And sometimes it's a lyric. Sometimes it's just a sound of, a, of something. But it comes from all over the place, Matt. It's so hard to answer. But I know what it's not. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. I, I love it. And it's, just, it's making me smile because I'm thinking about the times that I feel like most at peace or feel soulful or just feel overall just settled. I'm thinking of instrumental music you know I, i'm thinking of uh, a couple songs that are from my friend brother james from uh from jeremy reisig uh and yeah i thank you thank you for your heartfelt thoughtful answers i love that you don't just jump to the first thing and i imagine this might be in response to you might have jumped to the first thing in the past and now you're incredibly intentional that's a gift uh, for those who will watch this on YouTube, is to see the way that Brent thinks through it, to see him take a, a pause and breathe and uh, and really let what's present flow through him. I love that you're intentional like that. It's a great lesson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Brent. Like we've mentioned, papercutsuck.com is a place to go. And also, Mr. Brent Perkins, he's a front row dad. He's freaking awesome. So definitely get that book and let's begin this journey. Thank you, Brent. We love you and we appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.